Well, are you ready to get into the Word for a few moments? All right. Listen, if you are uh, if you're watching us on Facebook Live, this will be a great time to just hit the share button and let your friends and family know what you're up to. We're about to get into the message, and we believe that God has a word that He wants to speak to our hearts today. Amen, church? Amen. Amen. Uh, today, we're going to be continuing a series that uh, we're calling Seven. And the title comes because there are seven statements that Jesus made as he hung on the cross uh, for six hours. Now, I know we're, we're a few weeks past Easter, but I believe that there's something significant that, that we can learn from each of those statements. And, and we wanted to just slow down and take time to communicate these words uh, to, to you over the next few weeks. Uh, I don't apologize for, for preaching on the cross every Sunday this month. In fact, uh, you know, Jesus said this. He said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. And you know, a lot of times we, we hear that verse quoted in the context of worship. If I be lifted up, I'll draw folks, uh, all people to myself. But, but the reality is Jesus was speaking prophetically about the cross. He was saying, if I be lifted up on the cross, I will draw all men to myself. And so today, our heart is to just exalt our Lord. As He is lifted up on the cross, He's speaking. And I believe there's some things that He wants to say to us today. And so if you have your Bibles, uh, the words that we're going to look at are in two places. There, One is in Mark chapter 15, and the other is in John 19. And we'll get to those words in just a few moments. Let me just, uh, just to catch you up to speed briefly, there were three statements that Jesus made as he hung on the cross from 9 a.m. until noon. Three statements that he made in those first three hours. The first was a statement that he said to those uh, of those guards that were crucifying him. He said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. The second statement that he made was to one of the criminals that hung on the cross next to him. He said, this day you will be with me in paradise. And then the final statement, the one that we looked at last week, was a statement that he made to his mother and to the disciple whom he loved, John, who was standing there at the foot of the cross. He said, "Uh, woman, here is your mother. Mother, here is your Son. And I was just thinking about those three statements that we've covered thus far of the seven statements of Christ. And here's the theme of these dying words. First, it's, it's faith. There's a word of faith. And then there's also a word of forgiveness. And then there's a word about family. Faith, forgiveness, and family. Those are incredible themes to be thinking about. In your final moments. But I want to tell you today, those are great themes to be living by, not just dying by. Amen? These are words that we can live by. And the next words that Jesus communicates from the cross come after three hours of darkness had covered the earth. There's something in these next two statements that communicates to us a reality more than the other statements that Jesus can relate to your life. Jesus can relate to your life. Can I get a little bit more on this microphone this morning? If you'll, pre, if you'll shout louder, amen, I won't shout so loud. It's the way it works, see? If I don't hear from you, I just think you didn't hear me. 
Jesus is going to say something in the next couple of moments we're going to see that says to us today, Jesus knows what you're facing. He knows what you're going through. And I'm not just talking about uh, a a rose-colored, stained-glass image of Jesus, you know, walking through this earth with a halo on his head, the way we often see it depicted uh, in the old family Bibles. I'm talking about Jesus getting involved in the nitty-gritty of life, experiencing the, the pain of suffering, experiencing the disappointment of feeling lonely, of feeling like he's all alone in the dark seasons. Jesus walked the places we've walked. He felt disappointment. And and Jesus had all the power from the cross still at his disposal. All the power of heaven. At any moment, he could have called down legions of angels to deliver him, to rescue him out of that place of suffering. But Jesus chose to embrace the humility of the human experience. Philippians says he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. He humbled himself. He humbled himself even to the point of death, the scripture says. And he did it so that he could be acquainted with our feelings, our suffering. I want to show you before we get to these statements why it matters. Why it should even matter to you that Jesus knows how you feel and he knows what you're going through. Let me show you a verse in Hebrews chapter 4. This talks about the role that Jesus plays for us. It says in verse 14, Therefore, since we have a great high priest, that's Jesus, who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we Profess. Now, before we get to the next verse, I want you to see something here. The, the confidence that we have to hold firmly to the faith that we will possess is in the reality of where Jesus is right now. It's called the blessed hope. We have anticipation that one day we're going to be with God. This morning in our new members class, we got to talking a little bit about the second coming of the Lord. That's one of our core beliefs. We believe that Jesus is coming again. And that conviction is based on where he sits right now. He's at the right hand of God. And that's what this verse tells us. Verse 14 says that we have a great high priest. He has ascended into heaven. Therefore, let us hold firmly to the hope that we have. But look at the next verse. It says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. So let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So hear this, the hope that we hold firmly to of what's to come is based on where Jesus is. But the confidence that we have to approach God today is based on where he has been. You see, our confidence to go before God today, to approach the throne of grace boldly so that we can find the mercy and grace that we need, is not based on the fact that Jesus is in heaven. If you're here today and you're hurting and you're going, great, Jesus is in heaven. That's not where we find our confidence. That's the hope for the future. The confidence to approach God today is in the reality that he was acquainted with our suffering. 
That when we look at the story of Jesus, we see a God who stepped down out of the balcony of heaven and entered into the human narrative. He suffered. He bled. He died a physical death. He was acquainted with our sorrows. And that gives us hope today. And that's what the the writer of Hebrews is saying. Because of that, because he knows what we've gone through and yet he went through it without sinning, let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence. You can have confidence today. As we approach God, you can have confidence, not because of who you are or where you've been, but because of who He is and where He's been. You can have confidence to approach the throne of grace. Now, I might be here today and, and I, don't, I don't know what you're going through. And I want to be careful when I'm talking about God understanding it, that, that that doesn't come off as a, as a trite statement. Because I understand you may be here today and you may have the weight of the world on your shoulders. And, and I wouldn't presume to understand what you're going through. I wouldn't presume to be able to relate to you. But can I just give you this disclaimer today? I never said, I am the way. The truth and the life. Jesus said those words. So what I want to proclaim to you today is that he, Jesus, is the way, the truth and the life. And he knows what you're going through. He is familiar with your pain. I want to tell you this first word. It's found in Mark chapter 15. This is a word about spiritual suffering. Jesus is hanging there on the cross. And we're going to. Look at verse 34, where the Bible says, Mark 15, verse 34. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice. Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, and aren't you glad Mark gave us the interpretation? It means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You ever felt that kind of pain before? A soul pain? A spiritual suffering? Have you ever had something so heavy on your heart that you prayed a prayer? My God, why? Believe it or not, Jesus, the Son of God, who lived a perfect and sinless life... He prayed that kind of a prayer. He knows what it is to say, my God, why? Why? Your cause for that kind of prayer could be a thousand different things. But the affecting result for all of us is the same. We begin to feel abandoned by God. We begin to feel forsaken by God. We begin to feel overlooked or unloved by God. It could have happened for a multitude of reasons. Unknown disappointments could have led you to that place. But if you've been there before, you can remember it like it was yesterday. And perhaps, maybe it was. When you looked up to heaven and said, my God, my God, why? Why? It feels like he's forsaken you. Jesus knows that pain. On the cross, He took it. He took the weight of the world, the sin of the world. And we understand that sin 
ultimately is what separates us from God. And when Jesus took our sin upon himself for the first time in his life, he felt the distance of a relationship being cut off from God. He felt what it was like to have God seem far away. Let me tell you the next statement that Jesus made from the cross. And this one's in John chapter 19. In John chapter 19, verse 28 says this. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that the scriptures would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. Now I want to talk about this statement for a few minutes first before we go back to the previous one. This statement, I am thirsty. It was Mother Teresa who took these words, I am thirsty, from Jesus and she made them the theme of her life. She said this, she said, our acts of love are meant to satisfy the thirst of Jesus. Now I think that's a great theme to live by. Certainly, Jesus wants us to demonstrate love and compassion. He's, he's thirsting for us to represent Him in the earth. But I want to just encourage you not to spiritualize the words of Jesus too much in this moment. You see, when Jesus hung on the cross and He said, I am thirsty, what He actually meant was, I'm thirsty. What He actually meant was, my throat is dry. We're going to read a scripture a little bit later that prophetically describes the moment as saying the, his tongue clung to the roof of his mouth. He was thirsty. And as much as this might have some other spiritual meaning for us today, there has a real practical meaning that Jesus was a man. That he was like us. The scripture we already read says he was tempted at all points like us, yet without sin, Jesus was fully man. Fully man. No one at the cross doubted that. They they saw him bleed when he was pierced. They saw the tears in his eyes, the sweat on his brow mixed with blood. His disciples never doubted the humanity of Jesus. They noticed when he got tired or when he needed rest. But sometimes in 2017... It's easy for us to forget this reality that Jesus was a man. The gospel writers, they assume that we get it. They, they talk about his, his birth and being a child in a manger. They talk about him being raised and going to the temple with his parents. They talk about him uh, eating and getting hungry. And th- there's no explanation of the humanity of Jesus. It's just understood by the gospel writers that you would get it. Paul, when he wrote to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 15, he called Jesus the second Adam. In other words, what he was saying is that Jesus was was fully human. He was like Adam. He was humanity before sin entered the human race. The way that Adam was in the Garden of Eden before he sinned. Jesus is the second Adam. Why, Why does that matter today? That Jesus was fully man. Let me show you another verse in Hebrews chapter 2 that tells us why. It says, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. He shared in our humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. 
Aren't you glad that the power of death has been broken? It says, and he freed those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. Because Jesus became a man. He not only broke the power of death that the devil had, but he freed those who were living in fear of death. He did it because he came as a man and he conquered death as a man. It goes on to say this in verse 16, For surely it is not the angels that he helps, but Abraham's descendants, that's us, For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Listen to this next verse. This is so powerful. It says, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those Who are being tempted. You know what that's saying? It's saying Jesus knows what you're going through. That's what the the writer is so eloquently saying in this moment. Jesus has been where you are. He knows what you're going through. And because he can fully understand the trouble you face. He's equipped to help you with it. Isaiah prophetically paints a, a portrait of what it was like for Jesus. In Isaiah 53, he talks about what it was like for Christ the man. It says in verse 2, he grew up like before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Doesn't that change our mental picture of all the portrayals of Jesus? Did you know the Bible said that there was nothing that was especially attractive about Jesus' physical appearance? There was nothing that made him stand out the way that we often see it portrayed in his physical appearance. But it goes on to say, verse 3, He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised. And we held him in low esteem. But then he goes on to say, Surely he took up our pain. And he bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God. Stricken by him. And afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed For our iniquities. And now we're getting to the part where the church starts saying amen. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. Listen. Jesus experienced pain so that you could experience peace. That's what that word says. By his wounds you are healed. Jesus never wanted pain. He never wanted to experience The brutality of crucifixion. But he was more focused on your healing than he was on his feeling. His pain brought your peace. That's what Isaiah declared to us. In fact, did you know the Bible says in Mark 15 that early in the crucifixion, Jesus was actually offered a pain alleviant. He was offered a drink of wine mixed with myrrh. And he refused it. When they began to crucify him, he was, he was given this 
anesthetic. But he refused it. Jesus bore the full weight. Not because he wanted the pain, but because he probably had Isaiah's words in his mind. He knew that my pain brings their peace. It's not pain I want, but it's your peace that he wanted. And he went all in, all the way to Calvary, so that he could carry your burden. I want to encourage you today. Don't allow your feelings. Don't allow anyone else. Don't allow Satan. Don't allow any experience that that you've had in your life to convince you that that the Bible doesn't apply to your circumstance. Or that, that Jesus can't relate to your story. When Jesus hung on the cross and he said, I am thirsty. It it was a revelatory moment. It was a reminder. Not for them. They had no doubt in that moment. But for us, over 2,000 years later, it's a reminder to us that Jesus knows what you're going through. He felt the pain that you feel. He's acquainted with your sorrow and with your grief and your suffering. And He conquered death by death. And He didn't take any shortcuts in getting there. He's conquered and given us the victory. Now the word says in John chapter 19 verse 28 that there's another reason that Jesus said, I am thirsty. Listen to that verse again. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that the scriptures would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. Jesus didn't just say it because his throat was parched. He said it because he knew he had done everything that needed to be done. But there was another prophecy that needed to be fulfilled. And so that the scriptures would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. Did you know there are 29 specific Old Testament prophecies that were fulfilled by Jesus in the final 24 hours of his life? Before he died on the cross, 29 different prophecies. Written between 1000 BC and 500 BC. 29 different things that prophets of God said this will happen. And they all were fulfilled in Jesus in the final 24 hours of his life. Mathematicians have calculated this. And come up with a number communicating what the odds are of Jesus not fulfilling 29, but just 8. What are the odds of Jesus fulfilling eight of the messianic prophecies? And the number they came up with was 10 to the 17th power. That's a one with 17 zeros behind it. That's the equivalent of if you took silver dollars and you stacked them up two feet deep and covered the whole state of Texas with those coins... And then crossed over the Red River into Oklahoma and marked one coin and threw it out there into the middle of the state of Texas and then blindfolded somebody and sent them south and they picked up a coin at random and it was that coin that you marked. That's the mathematical odds of one person fulfilling just eight of these messianic prophecies. And yet Jesus in the final 24 hours of his life, fulfilled 
29 different prophecies. The odds of one person fulfilling 48 prophecies is 10 to the 157th power. Yet there are over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament that Jesus fulfilled through his life, death, burial, and resurrection. You know what those odds are? Me neither. I don't have a calculator that big. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. Amen. There's a word in Psalm 69 that said, They put gall in my food and they gave me vinegar for my thirst. And so in that moment, to fulfill the scripture, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. And they did just that. But the other word that we looked at, I want to briefly look at again. In Mark chapter 15, verse 33 says, At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. That's supernatural, by the way. That's not the way eclipses usually work. For three hours, from 12 in the afternoon till three, darkness covered the whole earth. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If I quoted the first line of a song today that all of us knew, you would instinctively think of the next line. If I just said, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. If you know that song, right away you start thinking, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I want you to know today that that is exactly what Jesus did at this moment on the cross. As Jesus hung on the cross, he didn't just cry out a prayer. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He stated the first line of a song that everyone in Israel knew. And the song is found in Psalm 22. If you go in your Bible to Psalm chapter 22, you're going to find verse 1 says these words. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now on Friday night, uh, Jackie Weber and her husband Terry took Day and I to the Casting Crowns concert at Hershey. So we were there at the Giant Center. And, uh, and the way they ended their concert, I, I love that they did this. At the end of the concert, they, they started leading everybody in a song. We were singing, living he loved me, dying he saved me, buried he carried my sins all away. And then they all just began to walk away. And everybody in that room just continued, rising, he's risen, he's justified, freely forever. One day he's coming back. Glorious day. And everybody began to sing. And they just walked off. I love that walk off moment. It's like, it's their way of saying like, this show's not about us. Let's get everybody looking at Jesus and then let's just slip off stage. And I just wonder if, if that happened in this moment. If Jesus had the ultimate walk off experience. Is there on the cross. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then in that moment, all those Israelites there that had heard and sung and knew that song began to sing the rest of the song. 
I want to look at Psalm 22. And I want you to see the words that Jesus was focused on as he died on the cross. This is one of the most powerful portions of all of scripture. And I say that because the cross is the focus of the word of God. And Psalm 22 is the only place in scripture where we have Jesus' perspective of the cross. We can read what other people said happened, but Psalm 22 is the only place where we get the perspective of Jesus on the cross. And what's even more amazing about this perspective is that it was written by King David about a millennium before Jesus was ever born. The Holy Spirit inspired David to write down prophetically the vantage point of Jesus on the cross. And what's even more crazy about it is that crucifixion was not even a thing when David wrote this. And as you look at Psalm 22, you're going to find there is a perfect description of what it must have been like for Jesus to be crucified. And yet it was written. A thousand years earlier. If you need an argument for the validity of God's word being inspired, just go to Psalm 22. And and when you look at this verse, I want you to just see a couple of things. Verse 1, we've already read out of the Gospels, but it says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? Verse 2, My God, I cry out by day. But you do not answer by night, but I find no rest. Now, remember, Jesus has just come through three hours of darkness in the middle of the day. As he says, by night, I call out to you and I find no rest. Now, can you just put yourself at the scene of Calvary with me today? And imagine what it must have been like for those standing there. After Jesus has already dropped the first lyric of the song and now they're thinking through it. Look down at verse 7. The psalmist goes on to say, All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. That's exactly what the gospel said was happening. Verse 8. He who trusts in the Lord, they say, let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Look down at verse 14. Jesus says from the cross, I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. Literally, as, as a person hung from the cross, their, their, their bones would come out of socket as they hung there with their full weight. Verse 16 Speaks prophetically from Jesus' view. He says, dogs surround me. What, By the way, the Jews called the Gentiles dogs. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. Can you imagine? If perhaps people were singing this song. A song that was written a thousand years before this moment long before crucifixion was even a thing, and it's dawning on them for the first time that this song is written explicitly about Jesus. The next line of the song, verse 17 says, All my bones are on display. People stare 
and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and they cast lots for my garments. I can just imagine what it must have been like for those who were crucifying Jesus. And even more so for those religious leaders, those teachers of the law, who knew this song better than anyone else. Even if nobody was singing it out loud, it was certainly echoing in their hearts after Jesus said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And as they're thinking about the the verses to that song, and they look over and the the Bible says that the, the guards began to gamble for Jesus' garments to see who would get them. That those who stood around cursed him and accused him and said, ask God to save you if you trust in him. As they look up and they see this figure pierced through his hands and his feet, nailed to the cross. It's no wonder that in that moment, the Bible says the centurion, who was the captain of the guard, when Jesus breathed his last breath, the Bible says in that moment, he said, surely this man was the son of God. I wonder if he wasn't holding in that moment the winning garment. Maybe he's the one that the lots fell on and they're saying, they cast lots for my garments. And he's holding Jesus' last earthly possession. In this one statement, Jesus speaks something powerful to us about spiritual suffering. As we bring this service to a conclusion, I just want to tell you, couple of things quickly that this moment not only says about Jesus, but what it says about us. First of all, it says Jesus knows what I'm going through. He's experienced our pain. But it also says to us what we should do. I want to tell you that it's okay to express your your feelings to God. God. God isn't threatened by your praying, my God, my God, why? But don't just express your feelings, express your faith too. Because this song begins with a prayer of God, why have you forsaken me? But it ends with a shout of God's faithfulness. It ends with praise. I want to challenge you to meditate on Psalm 22 this week and and see how the faithfulness of God comes shining through. It also tells me that Jesus knows what I'm going through. Now, I know I said that before, but hear the emphasis. Jesus doesn't just know what you're going through. He knows what you're going through. And as we look at this psalm, God has a destiny in mind. And even in a place of darkness and isolation and feeling utterly abandoned by God, the tone of this psalm begins to change. In verse 3, Jesus begins to look back at the faithfulness of God to His people in the past. Psalm 22 and verse 3, He said, I cry out to you day and night. Verse 3 says, You are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the One that Israel praises. In that moment, Jesus acknowledges that The God that I'm calling out to is the God that has been faithful to His people in the past. And I want to encourage you today, if you feel abandoned, if you feel like you're far from God, if you feel like God has forsaken you, look around. Because you are standing among the great cloud of witnesses. 
And you look around this room and you see a testimony that God has been faithful to his people. But it didn't stop there. Jesus didn't just acknowledge that God has been faithful to his people. You look down in verse 9 and Jesus acknowledges that God has also taken care of him in the past. Verse 9, he said this. He said, you brought me out of the womb. You made me to trust you even at my mother's breast. Listen, if you're feeling forsaken or far from God today, remember that God has been faithful to his people, but also step back from your feelings and remember that God has been faithful to you. He's been good to you. He's taken care of you. He got you this far and he didn't bring you this far to leave you. He's been faithful. And then in verse 12 through 18, we read many of those scriptures. Jesus begins to describe the circumstance. He talks about what he's going through. And again, listen, you know what Jesus is looking for in your prayer life? It's not eloquence. It's not King James English. It's not weighty theological words. What Jesus is looking for is honesty. He's looking for authenticity. He's looking for your heart. He's not, he's not bothered by you being real with God about your pain. And that's what Jesus does in this next part. He begins to cry out about his torment and about his tormentors. But then in verse 19, he does something incredible. And this is where we turn a corner. In spite of his circumstances, Jesus prays anyway. And I want to encourage you, in spite of what you're facing, pray anyway. Down in verse 19, Jesus says, but you, Lord. In spite of everything that he's faced, but you, Lord. Do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. In verse 19, he says, help me. In verse 20, he says, deliver me. In verse 21, he says, rescue me. Save me. He prays anyway. In spite of what he's dealing with, he cries out to God. And because he prayed anyway, he made a second choice. To praise anyway. Still on the cross. Still with unchanging circumstances. Verse 22 says, I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. And there's a revelation that Jesus knows that we ought to know. Right at the end of Psalm 22. In verse 24, he says, For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not. I I know we started out saying, God, why have you forsaken me? But now he's saying the reality is he has not despised or scorned the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. From you, God, comes the theme of my Praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. Listen, I want to pray for you today. And as we conclude this service, I, I want you to just know the, these two things. Maybe you're here and, and you've, you've felt like God's forsaken you, like God's abandoned you. And, and maybe you've even prayed your own version of this prayer. My God, my God, Why? Why have you forsaken me? Why do I feel unloved? Why do I feel like you're not attentive? Why are you not fixing this issue in my life? Why are you not healing 
this sickness? Why are you not coming through for me in this moment? My God, why? Maybe that's you today. I want to challenge you. First of all, Jesus. Maybe I don't, maybe nobody else in this room knows what you're going through, but Jesus, He knows all about it. He came a long way to experience what you feel. He knows all about it. And if that's you today, I want to invite you to pray that prayer. Go ahead. Cry out your feelings to God, but don't stop there. Don't just say, God, why, God, why? Say what Jesus said. My God. My God. Why? Because that relationship makes all the difference. There's a lot of people shaking their fist at heaven saying, God, why? That's not what Jesus did. Jesus called out to his father. It was a personal relationship. And if you'll come to your God with your burdens, with your needs, with your hurts, with your disappointments, he has not abandoned you, the psalm said. He has not rejected you. No, the opposite is true. He has not hidden his face, but he has listened to your cry for help. And the theme of your praise in the great assembly will be his goodness. I want to pray for you. Would you bow your head with me all over this room? God, for the person that might be here today that's genuinely struggling. I mean, genuinely, they, their faith, their, their theology, what they say they believe about you has been crashed against the rocks of circumstances. And Lord, maybe they're here today and they've been tempted to develop a new theology because what they say they believe has not lined up with what life has showed them. And maybe today there are people that are here and and in frustration they've been crying, God, why? God, if you're real, why did you let this happen? Why did you abandon me? Why did you forsaken me? God, today, I pray that every person in this room, from whatever station they may be in life, God, that they would call out, using the personal pronoun today, my God, my God, knowing that, Lord God, your word says in Jeremiah 33, in verse 3, that if we call upon you, your word says you will show us great and mighty things that we do not know. So I want to invite you, church, from right where you sit to begin to just call on God. In these closing moments, would you just make an altar right there at your seat? A place where you can, in your heart, come before God. Lay your heart bare. Hold nothing back. Say, God, here's where I'm at. Here's the circumstances that I'm facing. Here's the reality that I'm experiencing. And yet in the midst of your pain, would you lift a heart of faith and acknowledge that God has been faithful to his people, to the person to your left, to the person to your right, to the one sitting before you. He's been faithful in my life. We have to say what the word of God says that, Lord, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their seed begging bread. God, even though I'm hurting today, even though... I feel at a loss today. 
I recognize you have been faithful to your people. And while we're at it, can we look back over our shoulder and acknowledge the faithfulness of God in our own life? So God, even from a place of pain today, I thank you that you kept me. God, when I could have veered off track, you you kept me. God, when I was too young to trust you, you watched over me. God, you spared my life in moments that it could have been snuffed out. God, in the moments that I, I ran as hard as I could in the opposite direction of your will, God, you gently and lovingly guided me back to this place today. And though I feel oppressed, though I feel abandoned and forsaken, God, I acknowledge today, not only are you good to your people, but Lord, you have been good to me. You are a good God. I refuse to believe the lies of my circumstance and my adversary. I know today, God, you are good. You're good. And so God, from that place, Lord, I unburden my heart to you. We unburden our hearts to you, God. God, you know. You see the secret tears. Lord, your word says that the psalmist declared all of our tears are kept in your bottle. What a picture. What a picture of your concern. That every tear that falls is captured in the attentive love of our Heavenly Father. God, thank you today that we have hope for the future because we serve a risen Savior. And thank you today that we can approach you with confidence because we know that you've been where we are. You faced what we're feeling and you conquered death by death. You purchased our victory at Calvary. Thank you today, Jesus. Lord, your goodness, your faithfulness is the theme of our praise. Church all over this room, would you stand with me?